do we want to talk about the Supreme Court leak around Roe v. Wade overturn? I mean, it ties in, I feel like, with everything we've ever talked about in the podcast, in that this has been coming for many, many years, and the the DNC, the alleged progressives, all of these people chose to. I mean, I remember being a teenager and hearing people raising the religious right as a problem and people, you know, at the top of the DNC, the talking heads saying they're not a concern, not taking it seriously. And those of us that were growing up in it knew they were terrorists. Mm -hmm. And so I really can't with a the shock i can't with you know the democrats not just throwing themselves on the floor when kavanaugh and amy were being put up for the supreme court the same way the republicans did when obama tried to get his candidate in Mm -hmm. and so don't be mad at the republicans be mad at the democrats because they did it and they they facilitated this and continued to and then they gave us Freaking Biden mm-hmm. as president. So mm-hmm. I don't have I don't have a lot for the people that are shocked. I don't have a lot for the people that are you know suddenly aware of this. This has been coming. This has been the fight since ever, ever. Yeah, but I mean, particularly any of us that grew up watching Christian television in the eighties, this was central. Look, there's a reason they haven't stopped talking about it ever. ever. There's a reason why it is. The thing that they use, weaponized, they've raised millions and millions of dollars for this cause Mm -hmm. and put people in office to further their agenda. And so, I mean, it's terrible. Don't get me wrong. It is awful. But everything about this could have been stopped, just like everything about Trump could have been stopped. And so, you know, this is they are determined to facilitate the Republicans turning this into a further fascist country than it already is. Well, and I, I guess it really does just get to go to show that all of the things that we continue to take for granted around progressivism and, you know, the, 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 the tides of change, you know, just constantly are just, you know, on our side and opinions and, and hearts and, and settled law, settled law. It's already been settled. There's no, and we're, we're just learning that literally everything can be undone. If we don't, if you don't stay on top of it. Well, and it really blows up Hillary Clinton's concept of, I don't believe you change hearts, you change laws. Well, Well, that's. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Thanks, Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Why can't we change laws and hearts? Like, why can't we work on both things? This idea that it's one or the other is what's gotten us here. Well, and the other thing that, you know, gets left out of the conversation is the majority of people do believe in, at the very least, choice. Even if they aren't pro-abortion, they are pro-choice. We are looking at, in the same way that gay marriage or marriage equality is also the majority of people, you know, popular vote, majority of people, we are looking at a minority, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they... are running the show and it's bizarre that well, this is how this country functions because of things like the electoral college because of things like the supreme court well it doesn't help that we have a state's rights sir as president <laughs> right and so you know when i, I he's been a i've never wanted him as our president or mm-hmm. our candidate mm-hmm. we voted for him out of necessity because mm-hmm. there was no other option yep. but i have never wanted him because he is essentially a republican and 
we have this man who basically abandoned all of the southern states during the at the height of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. He abandoned us. Mm-hmm. And now he's t- speaking the same language about the Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I mean, we're pretty screwed. Yeah. There's at this juncture, there's not a lot of hope if this is indeed the ruling. Mm-hmm. No hiding place down here. Well, on that chipper note, <laughs> welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, renegade through and through. Oh, renegade through and through. Oh, Lord, if you only knew. Now tell me what do I do? And if what I say is true, how could I get through to you? I don't know how to behave. I don't know how to behave. And if I don't change my way, it might send me to my grave. Welcome to Outlaws Evidence of the Unseen, exceptional stories and conversations that weave history, religion, arts, and politics into the fabric of our greater cultural narrative. I am Ray Curranton, singer, songwriter, and producer. I'm Tim Dillinger, essayist, music historian, uh, and journalist. Uh, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and tell everyone you know to tune in as well. And if you feel so inclined, please rate and review the show wherever you listen. This helps more people find us. Uh, a couple of housekeeping items. I have a new single out right. uh, that uh, just came out last month entitled Make It With Me. We've talked about it on the show uh, before, but the song is now available on streaming platforms and, and digital outlets everywhere. So uh, be sure to stream, support the song. I'm, I've just been completely overwhelmed by uh the number of people that are finding the song and loving the song and sharing the song uh but yeah if you if you feel so inclined in in, in addition to streaming it uh to maybe uh, support the song on my band camp that you know directly supports uh me and the work that we're doing with the show it allows me to put more songs out sooner it also allows us to continue to enhance what we're doing here with the show we've got some new uh uh, mic booms and and things in here that are kind of fun to be working with uh as we continue to do the show each month it gets better and better and better so uh, on my better (laughs) it just keeps getting better that's oprah uh (laughs) so if you (laughs) go to raycurrenton.bandcamp.com you can uh download the song there and uh tip if you uh if you'd like an incredible book came out this past week called isn't her grace amazing by cheryl willis i was interviewed uh, about some of the gospel artists that she covers in the book and i'd love it if people supported this beautiful beautiful work Um, she compiled some important histories and coupled them with beautiful photographs uh, many of which i've never seen before and i look for these things pretty heavily Um, so cheryl willis isn't her grace amazing definitely pick it up if you love gospel music. Second, we got a review on the Andre Crouch episode, and they caught me in in an untruth that I told. Gasp. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I did make an error. The, the reviewer is correct. Yes, it was Billy Thedford uh, on Andre Crouch's Live at Carnegie Hall album, singing He Looked Beyond My Fault and Saw My Need. I wanted to acknowledge that because they're absolutely right. And we get on here and start talking and names get blurred and... yeah. 
mistakes happen. So thank you for catching us. Yeah. Uh, catching me. And uh, yeah, if you I haven't, go I'm back and listen to the... <laughs> if you haven't listened to the Andre Crouch episode, you definitely should. But listen to it yes. with that in mind. Listen to that with that in mind. And uh, yeah, so let's, let's get into today's topic. Uh, oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. We are going to talk about the rapture, uh, which... We, I feel like we've been talking about and preparing for the show. This was like one of the first topics I remember you saying you really wanted to address. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've gone through now, we've watched, because uh, we really wanted to to really tackle the notion of the rapture from a uh, Christian multimedia propaganda perspective perspective uh just the 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 effort the amount of investment not just of time (laughs) but money and platform into talking about the rapture and using that as a scare tactic uh it's, it's really astounding when you think about the decades that have gone into this yeah i think we should talk about like our earliest memories of hearing about the rapture or knowing about the rapture do you know mm-hmm. what yours was i mean I, re- I remember it being a thing and my experience was very different than yours so it's probably best that i talk first because we watched a lot of movies in preparation for this but these were not films that i saw growing up you know i knew of the left behind series the books and i guess the films too i saw them in the christian bookstore you know it it all felt extremely complicated to me like the events <laughs> post the rapture and just all of it just seemed and i you know would try to like flip through revelations i'm I'm sure i've had pastors kind of do series maybe uh but it just my eyes just always glazed over and i just (laughs) checked out because it's just boring and weird it's like really bad sci-fi fan fiction it's just like i mean even like i mean i'll take the l ron hubbard scientology crazy over what's in revelations it's just convoluted there's not really any narrative structure to it we're you know just strictly looking at it as you know fantasy or prophecy or whatever uh but no like i remember it being a thing and i guess either my parents explicitly or kind of implicitly said to me like we're saved we're good we're gonna get right you know if it happens in our lifetime continue to dedicate your life to the lord and we don't have to worry about what comes after and so i didn't and i didn't ever really have a lot of stuff around what would happen if i were ever to be left behind that just was Mm. never in my framework Mm. um so yeah i didn't like i said i didn't watch the movies i didn't really engage with it really as a, a medium i you know i knew of like the mark of the beast stuff but i didn't have like fear around barcodes or <laughs> devices i didn't have any of the you know i knew 666 was like a bad number to stay away from like i knew that but yeah it just didn't ever i didn't feel consumed by the 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 anticipation of jesus coming back i do remember a couple of failed prophecies like that were in the news oh yeah yeah. i I don't i don't think we were ever a part of a church that got swept up in that i really remember like 2012 being like a big year and like is it going to happen then and there was lots of prophecies around that and kind of just kind of keeping an eye and just kind of looking to see like is it gonna is it gonna happen oh no that was that was a bunch of crap but yeah no that was that was my childhood what about yours (laughs) um 
I mean, really, as far back as I can really remember, I was conscious of the rapture because we saw in our day, we because I'm old, we didn't have Left Behind. We had a series called A Thief in the Night. Mm-hmm. And um, so I saw A Thief in the Night. Prob- I think I was four. And this also coincides. With the first time you saw the film. Yeah. You were four years old. Yeah. Yeah, that's child abuse. And it coincided with also seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark, which had a really traumatic snake scene in it <laughs> for me. Yes. <laughs> and so I saw those two things in juxtaposition, you know, in, in conjunction with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to say, though, about the appeal of A Thief in the Night for church people mm-hmm. was that in my generation, in certain particularly Pentecostal circles, movies were forbidden. Like you were right. not to go see movies. And so my mother would, we would sneak to go see movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not something we did flagrantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember us like heads down going into the movie theater in case someone saw us. <laughs> I mean, we were Which, like, why are you there? Right. But we were, <laughs> but you know, we were that kind of paranoid. And so. So when there is the event of a Christian movie, mm-hmm. it automatically is kind of like uh, contagion because you're allowed to watch a movie, and that's yeah. a big deal. And so, and, yeah, how many Christian movies were there in the '70s? Not a lot. Jo- uh, Joni, Joni Erickson's life story, Corey Ten Boom's life story, both produced by Billy Graham, and the Jesus film, uh, the Jesus of Nazareth film. This mm. was, and they were all pretty much with like within a five year time period. So this was like. Thief in the Night, 1972, it comes out. I saw it, you know, at four. So this is like 1979, 1980. And so I just wanted to say that, like, when we watch a film like A Thief in the Night and we note that it's, like, low budget and not well written, it didn't matter. It was the first. It's the first and it's a captive audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I saw that movie, I was immediately, I had nightmares. Like, immediately. Well, of course. I was going to be, because... The thing in that movie, and we'll get into this, but the one theme that really emerges is you can go to church and you can say you're saved and you still might not go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for me, I just went, well, of course I would be the exception and I would not go. And I also already knew at four or five that I was very different. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have the gay word yet, but I knew that I was different and I knew that that kind of excluded me from the possibility of being raptured, <laughs> being raptured. And mm. so I would wake up and I would have, I didn't again, know this language. I was having night terrors. Yeah. I would wake up in the night. I would run through the house looking for my mother and my grandparents. Like Patty in the movie. Like yeah. Patty in the movie to make sure that I had not been left. And I would scream. I would like wake up one night. I rolled between my bed and the wall mm. And I was trapped. Oh, my God. And nobody was coming, you know, because they couldn't hear me because I was also, like, covered up in like blankets. Like, you were muffled, yeah. Yeah. And so, I was screaming and screaming and screaming, and nobody came. And I thought, oh, my God, this is it. I've been raptured. I'm stuck. You know, uh, terrifying. And I was, like, four or five, you know? Mm-hmm. So, that's what rapture indoctrination early on was for me. And then would see this film. They would bring it to the church every yeah. year. And then the sequels, right? And the sequels. And the language was about scaring the kids to Jesus. This is the language. They actually said scaring the kids to Jesus. And then we started going to the, after that, because just to keep you reminded, we'd go when it ran at the Christian drive-in. 
because okay. we had a Christian drive-in in our area. So I was seeing this movie like regularly, and it just would reinforce for me. And the sequels, they do like a marathon. You'd watch them all in one night sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, reinforced over and over and over again. And so when that happens, you don't question like, wait, is this real? Is this going to happen? It's a part of your reality. And they have the big altar call after. And I remember children like screaming and crying to the altar because they didn't want their heads chopped off. Right. And so <laughs> that's my early. Where are they today? Are oh, they? yeah. Derelicts, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but that's my early indoctrination with the rapture. Gotcha. Well, yeah. So we, we watched. There were three, or no, four A Thief in the Night films. <laughs> Goodness gracious. We watched all four of those films. We also watched uh, the original Left Behind film with, with Kirk Cameron, as well as the remake that they just put out in the last, I don't know, it was five, ten years ago with Nicolas Cage. Uh, so we're going to talk about all of those films <laughs> and the ways that each one is, is uh, kind of a... Uh, an example of its time, I guess, and just the things that each film does. And I guess for me, I'm coming at it from someone who never saw any of these films and never really engaged with any of it prior to me kind of deconstructing and landing where I am currently with my faith. And you are approaching it, I guess, from someone with deep trauma around these films and this this subject uh, maybe what reclaiming some power around absolutely. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Has it been cathartic for you? Has it been? Well, I want to, I feel like it's really important to say about these films that through the years I have met other people mm-hmm. who were equally traumatized by these films. Yeah. Um, I mean, B Slade has kind of publicly talked about his relationship with these movies and incorporated it into his music. Yeah. Yes. Um, I met other though multiple. I remember having a conversation with one woman who was older than me. Uh, I would have been in my thirties at this juncture, and I said somehow the Rapture movies came up, and I said, "Oh my God, we saw Thief in the Night when I was a kid. It completely freaked me out." And she went white in the face. I mean, it was like, and I said, "Oh my God, let's pull up the." let's see if it's on YouTube. And she was like, no, no, no. Like it was serious. Like pushed up stuff around. It was terrifying to her. Yeah. That's, you know, the kind I realized when that happened, I thought I'm not the only person that was as deeply terrified by these movies. Yeah. And again, she was older than me. So she would have seen them. I think she was 10 years older than me. Mm. So she would have been a teenager if I was five, she would have been 15. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, and, but I think we also have to make sure, have we adequately adequately explained what the rapture is for those who don't know? Oh, God. Oh, well, we're gonna, I feel like the films are going to tell us. Okay. It's about the films telling us what these things are okay. to, 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 to scare us to Christ right. and get us to get I on I just want to make sure we're not jumping ahead of our... So, yeah. No, okay. we're going to talk about what it, what it is through the films and see if there's anything. But... <laughs> I think what's important to remember are two things. One, uh, all of these films are using the rapture as a scare tactic. That's theme number one. I think the second theme is the the end times, you know, specifically what happens after the rapture is always kind of couched as a return of the supernatural. And I feel like we kind of talked about this in our faith healer conversation. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. there's this belief that, 
yeah, supernatural things are still happening and miracles, but like it's really going to get really interesting and special uh, when the rapture happens. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So, A Thief in the Night, first uh, film. It's 1972. Uh, these All of the Thief in the Night films were directed by Donald W. Thompson. Do you know anything about him? Nothing. I think these are all people from Iowa. I could yes, be yes. The films were for the. I think the first three films were like exclusively filmed in Iowa, and then like the last one, maybe the third one as well. Uh, there were some scenes shot uh, elsewhere, like I think in New Mexico or, or Arizona or something like that. But yeah, mostly filmed in Iowa. I think all the actors are uh, Iowans. Is that how you say? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's 1972. What's happening in 1972, Tim? It's the height of the well, Jesus movement. It's the movement. height of the Jesus movement. Yeah. And so I think that's really important because the narrative now is that the Jesus movement was just all happy and like one way, the finger pointing up. The hippies that are, might, may still be smoking pot as they're. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, but you know, the hierarchy, the church hierarchy, very quickly realized they had to, as we've talked about in our Jesus Movement episode, take some control. And so they're very consciously infiltrating that scene with this kind of messaging. Well, yeah, this is the same year as Expo 72. Yep. Um, yeah, Billy Graham and all of that. So uh, just for some context around filmmaking in 1972, uh, the highest grossing film of the year was The Godfather, <laughs> uh, which was the Oscar winner for, for Best Picture that year. We all know uh, The Godfather. It's currently the number two rated film of all time on IMDb. Uh, the user rating for The Godfather is a is an incredible 9.2. There aren't very many films with a user rating that high. Uh, a Thief in the Night... <laughs> has a rating on IMDb of 4.7. Yeah. Generous. Um, the, <laughs> uh, the Godfather's film budget uh, is estimated somewhere between 6 and $7.2 million. Uh, what I found online was that A Thief in the Night's budget uh, was $68,000. <laughs> uh, and I don't know how accurate that is. That could be totally fabricated. If anybody has more information about how much money it took to make that film, let us know. Uh, so we're comparing really apples and oranges in terms totally. of budget and influence and quality. Quality. Uh, there were some other, because I feel like this film gets kind of categorized, especially the first two films, get really lumped into that horror film genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and some other horror films from that year, uh, we've seen some of them. Others I've just kind of know of. Last House on the Left, uh, Blackula. Oh, Blackula. <laughs> ben, which is so funny. Like, Ben... It's so funny that both Ben and this film have that like creepy theme ballad. Yes. Where it's like a soft song that I feel like is supposed to kind of maybe make you, I don't know. It kind of has like these dreamy qualities, but then when you think about like the context of the film or when you just like listen to the lyrics of the Larry Norman song, it's like, no, this is actually like a terrifying song. Why was that so common? But their version in this film was way more terrifying than Larry Norman's version was. (laughs) Larry's did have a very folkish quality to it. Uh-huh. It was not eerie. I didn't find it eerie, even though the lyric is terrifying. Yeah. Um, I mean, the production on Larry Norman's version was so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but that's how I feel about the Michael Jackson the Ben song. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't feel creepy, but it's also like, why have, yeah, it's just the strangest thing to me to kind of pair. But I guess that is part of the eeriness of 
just setting the the mood for yeah. well the the weird you've been left behind and then that symbol yes that just, yeah yes. I mean, it's, it's it does its job so we've got patty dunning playing patty myers that's right it's very interesting like early on in the film we get the 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 sense that the words unity or citizenship, anything related to people coming together around some kind of joint cause or just society uh, is something bad. It's well, weaponized like throughout the film and pretty early on. As is. I mean, in the film, they give you, prior to the rapture happening, you get scenes of Patty in church. Mm-hmm. And she goes to, I'm assuming, like a... a Methodist or Episcopal church, and the minister is talking uh, from an intellectual standpoint. Mm. And trouble. So, trouble. And so <laughs> they immediately, with that, once they present him, like talking about the idea of love, loving each other, um, and not taking the Bible so literally. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, then the rapture happens. And then he's left behind and you get this whole piece of, you know, I wish I'd really been preaching the word of God. Yes. And so there's this whole like juxtaposition of intellectualism versus faith Mm -hmm. that we now, you know, there was an all out war on intellectualism in the 90s that really emerged. I think the beginnings of that started back here. Yeah. Yeah. So no... No, no unity, no just being kind to each other and helping each other out as citizens of the world or of a neighborhood or whatever. No intellectualism, all bad. Uh, And yeah, as we talked about the opening scene, the the song, keep a sharp lookout, the first words that come up on the screen, uh, just thinking about what a child watching would think or feel, just watching those opening scenes. And you were a child watching that. But there's a piece of me that just cannot fathom anyone thinking it would make any kind of sense to use these stories, these films in any way to try to get children to do anything that just seems really, really sick. But I also know this is par for the course. Well, it is. And nobody's untangling or talking about scaring people to Christ as actually not being about concern for their soul, it is about control. Yes. And so nobody's really analyzing that dynamic or what that means. And so they conflate love, faith, coming to Christ. They blur the definitions. And so love becomes, yes, Sam Phillips wrote, you say love when you mean control. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole masking of language and action mm-hmm. that they utilize these films to do. These films all kind of have a, uh, they do, they rely a lot on like flashback and like showing you a point in time, but then kind of showing how we got there. Though it's not always clear that they're doing that with the film. I don't know if like the, they couldn't afford like better transitions at times or whatever, but you know, you kind of have to to hang in there to realize, oh, like we're seeing how we got here. And so this film is is no exception. We we open with the rapture having happened and Patty's looking around, her husband's gone, his 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 clippers are plugged in and running in the sink indicating that he's been caught up. There's a radio announcement that's playing 
Um, Quoting scripture. Yes, yes. And the, the, <laughs> the UN is going to be calling a special committee to figure out what's happened. All these millions oh, yes. of people lots that are vanished. Of UN lots of UN hatred. And then we get I Wish We'd All Been Ready by, by Larry Norman, written by Larry Norman, but we're getting a uh, creepy arrangement by some random youth workers <laughs> it's really eerie there's scary drumbeat the the electric piano's weird everything about it. they're making weird faces while they they're singing the girls look brainwashed okay and so then we get into the plot so we're getting like everything that happened before uh patty's got her friends jenny and diane uh, I think Jenny is the one who uh, is getting saved or about to be saved, right? Yes. <laughs> Diane is set up as the one you already know you need to watch for. Yes. She's the most hippie-esque of the girls, and she just has a sinister... Possibly sexual... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wayward. Wayward. Yes. It's, it's, it's yes. totally implied there. Yes. Uh, but we're getting like, yeah, we're, it's, it's these very clear character contrasts. Uh, so Patty's got this whole like, I'm a Christian because I do all these actions. I re- go to church. I read the Bible. I help people in need. And they're making it very clear like, that's not enough. It's not going to be enough to save her clearly because you already saw in the beginning of the film she's been left behind. She's not a true Christian. Well, and this is the piece of Patty I really like because she's like, okay, yeah, I can get with love. I can get with like, you know, Jesus mm-hmm. is a, you know, a great teacher, but a lot of this just seems really radical to me. Right. And I'm not really willing to do that. And, and I love that that just can't be okay. And we as, as people can't come together yeah. and again, form community. Yeah be citizens of the world together. Yes. Like, no, that you're not a true Christian. They have to stamp that out immediately because it can't be controlled. Right. Uh, Jenny is the one who's, you know, getting saved. She's been talking to this woman counselor uh, who who spits some really fucked up shit about love. <laughs> uh, they're like talking and Jenny's just like, ta- you know, trying to figure, you know, the, the fairness pieces of like who gets to be you know, God's chosen people who doesn't, and the rapture. And the counselor says, whoever said love is fair? <laughs> yeah. So God's not fair. God's not fair. No, favor ain't fair, Tim. Right. That's right. <laughs> Don't make sense. It makes faith. Yeah. Then we're introduced to another friend of Jenny's who I guess we ultimately, it's kind of later alluded that they're, they become a couple, this Dwayne guy. Youth um, leader. Youth leader. Youth leader. But youth. they, yeah, they become a, they become a thing. They become a I thing. Think. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about faith. Everything he says is just pure Christian paranoia. Um, talking about people giving you a hard time and Satan giving you a hard time, but you got to just, you know, stand up and do what's right and and not let any of those, those, those bad haters get in your way. <laughs> uh, so then we all get them in the park and we're getting like... Everybody paired up. So Patty's got her boyfriend, Jim, who later becomes her husband. We've got Diane and her boyfriend, Jerry, who also has a very Ooh, sinister... Yes. <laughs> Were you afraid of Jerry? Yes, totally. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. Um, who? It's funny because they're probably the two most attractive people in the whole <laughs> film. So, of course, they like <laughs> have to make Diane and Jerry the, the scary ones because they, you know... Um, and then, of course, Ginny and Dwayne, and the girls have a chat, and 
again it's very salacious diane's talking to patty telling you i'll have to tell you sometime about how to keep your boyfriend (laughs) and of course jenny's disgusted by this new holy saved jenny um and Dwayne uses the opportunity of them all being at the park to warn them again about the rapture uh and he says that god is currently holding back the full power of evil in the world but after the rapture all bets are going to be off uh he tells them about the mark of the beast there's a lot of expository like all of these films just rely heavily on just dialogue that explains everything that's happening or going to happen so he talks about the mark of the beast and it's basically like a super evil credit card on your arm or your forehead that people are going to have to get again he berates the intellectuals and believers that are going to be left behind um who we later learn like patty's reverend 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 turner uh is one of these intellectual uh, pastors who's not really a believer. Then we get like this weird, like, oh, it's like this has nothing to do with anything, but then it kind of maybe does. Like, they take they take Patty's boyfriend Jim on like an interesting little character search. Well, it's his it's his near death experience. Yeah, it's his come to Jesus moment. Yes. Yeah, he has a come to Jesus moment. So with a cobra, with a cobra, does he work with the cobra? Or was he just like visiting or something? No, it looked like he worked. He was an employee. Uh, So he gets bitten by the snake and they don't explain like why the cage was even open or how he didn't notice that the cage was open. Anyway, he needs a blood transfusion to fight off the poison. Uh, He survives uh, in part because Jenny saved Jenny uh, prays for him and he learns that she has prayed for him. And that becomes his entry into her church. And so he goes to Jenny's church. She's got a pastor, Pastor Balmer, who uh, is preaching about the rapture and great tribulation. He's not just preaching about loving people and uh, just reading your Bible. He's, He's talking about the rapture. Then we see this little girl who was also a part of that sermon uh, come home and (laughs) she's basically you right she comes home and is freaking out because she sees food on the stove that's nobody's there and nobody's there it's unattended and her mother doesn't immediately answer when she calls her so she starts screaming bloody murder she thinks the rapture has happened on her way home from church yes and the mother of course comes running in and so she asks jesus to come into her heart and the little girl gets saved so patty eventually gets married to jim uh, Jim's pastor uh, visits them at home and they have some more conversation around being a good person versus being a saved person, I guess. Yep. Jim asks why, asks why a loving God would put him through what he went through with the snake, uh, to which Pastor Balmer says, God uses circumstances in our lives to bring us closer to him. And he compares the blood transfusion uh, to his life being saved through Jesus's blood. Uh, so Jim really dedicates his life to Christ then. Uh, and of course, this all happens before the rapture happens. So who gets raptured? Jenny gets raptured. Uh, yeah, Jenny gets raptured. Little girl gets raptured. Is that when we see like the nice little the butter. moment? Remember she went next door to get some butter? Yes. And, the, and she was outside, right? Yeah, and the yeah. butter's melted on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim's gone. Yes. Jim's gone. The clippers in the in the bathroom sink. Uh, so yeah, then we start getting this whole Unite stuff. So the UN has, is holding this press conference on the United Television Network, which is 
hostile. They're just, they're just beating us over the head with this United Lots stuff. of United, yeah. The, they announced the formation of an organization called UNITE, the United Nations Imperium of Total Emergency. They tell people not to panic. Uh, the 10 major world powers at the time, did they say what those 10 were? I don't remember. Uh, they're going to form six committees of six members each, mm-hmm. which mm, six, it's, it's, those are some sixes. Scary. Um, <laughs> and they're initiating this identification uh, marking. They don't even call it a marking. They call it a, a sign or just a, a pass, I guess, that people are having to get. They, say, they of course, are just, you know, telling people, hey, we're not Big Brother. We don't wish to infringe on anyone's rights. We're just getting the mark so that everyone can be identified and we can know who is supporting Unite's strategy. It's benign. Just just go ahead and... and and get your get your ID. The mark, which you didn't notice. I was the one that pointed this out. Well, math was never my thing. <laughs> it's it's a little like barcode type yes. thing. And at yes. the bottom, uh, it's 666 in binary code. Unite says that you can get the mark at their identification center and show yourself as a true citizen of the world. I'm not afraid to good, be a good citizen is what one guy says as he's getting his <laughs> it's loaded right there's a lot to unpack there yeah, given yeah. like january 6th and patriots and right yes yeah it's a lot there it's it's strange it's strange so uh eventually of course none of this is true about this uh identification being uh something benign eventually we're starting to see citizens only signs that pop up in stores everywhere uh, keeping people without the mark from shopping, uh, people who don't get the mark start be- ultimately becoming enemies of the state. Uh, and then they basically start saying, you know, if you haven't taken the mark, you're going to be arrested. And they start coming for people. They start coming for people. So Unite Trucks uh, arrive outside of Patty's home. Uh, and it kind of becomes like a chase film at this point kind of right yes it's like four different genres in one so patty flees home she runs into her reverend reverend turner the intellect who has been left behind he regrets everything he regrets not actually believing even though he preached the world word every sunday and it's interesting we're gonna see this trope a lot too these these pastors these teachers that have uh, I guess been doing this what to to pay the bills because being a preacher just paid so much. But didn't well, yeah, they love this because this ends up in Left Behind. Films yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Like we're seeing this repeatedly in in all of these films. Like why? <laughs> well, and the the need to consistently make Christians suspicious of other Christians. Yes, is really really sick. But yeah, so he's regretting everything now. He's you know trying to to do the right thing. But they both get arrested. And uh, in prison, a prison guard is denying that the rapture even happened. She then tells Patty that Reverend Turner came to see that the mark was in everyone's best interest. So he has taken the mark. And uh, I guess that kind of convinces Patty to be led outside to what? To get the mark? I don't fully understand why she couldn't have gotten it there in prison. But anyway, she's led outside. Uh, where she sees that Reverend Turner has actually been murdered <laughs> out there. Uh, so she breaks free, runs away. A Unite truck chases after her. Uh, she calls her good friends, the only ones that are left here uh, that haven't been raptured, good old Diane and, and Jerry, uh, on a payphone. 
And they tell her to meet them at uh, the dam. So, yes, the bridge. We now get to see there's this epic bridge scene that happens yeah. in, like, all of the movies. <laughs> um, this is our first time we, we see it. So, uh, Patty, Patty's resourceful. She steals a Unite truck. And uh, then a Unite helicopter pursues her. For some reason, she gets out of the truck when she sees the helicopter. And she starts running into the forest. And Well, it's also kind of interesting to think about. The fact that this is like a, you know, fairly big town. We're not talking about like small town USA. Uh-huh. We see lots of people. Uh-huh. But yet they're so entirely focused on getting her. Right. Right. Well, because she broke out. She broke out of prison. So I'm sure it's right. extra. But even and she before stole that. Truck. But well, even yeah, before even that. Before that. Yes. Yeah. Go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. And of course, yeah, I mean, if we were to really see it to scale, they would have needed to have lots of lots of uh, extras playing right. lots of Unite soldiers or whatever these guards are and seeing lots of other people be scooped up. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I think the hyper-focus on Patty is because they clearly just didn't have the budget to pay that many different extras or recruit that many different extras and get them all in uniforms and all of that. And clearly they didn't uh, have the money or the, the, the forethought to maybe plan the action sequence of <laughs> her mm-hmm. navigating through the woods and ultimately getting to the dam. So it just looks really convoluted and strange, but she finishes her journey uh, to the dam on foot. Uh, this is epic. This is the big epic climax of the film. Jerry and Diane pull up. She runs to their car. And as she gets closer, she sees that Jerry is holding a walkie talkie and yep. saying, we've got her. And she realizes that she's been bamboozled. He's not even human. He's, He's not even human. He's an agent for Unite. And uh, they are they were trapping her from the very beginning, that those those dastardly Diane and Jerry. Uh, and so <laughs> an ominous voiceover repeats menacingly, menacingly. And these people will not be able to get away anywhere. There will be no place to hide. And it just repeats that over and over and over again. Patty jumps over the ledge of the dam, trying to escape. Jerry tries to grab her, and he's like smiling, this sinister smile. Uh, and does he push her, or does she fall? You, don't, you can't really tell. You can't really tell what happens, but she falls backwards into the dam. Uh, where it's then revealed that all of this was a dream. Yes. All of it was yes. a dream. Patty wakes up and she actually thinks when she wakes up that that means that the rapture also has been a dream. Yes. Uh, but then the radio is announcing uh, that the rapture is happening and Jim's clippers are running in the bathroom. And so it's like a double twist. All of the flashback sequences leading up to the opening scene were real, but everything after the opening was a dream. So the opening scene was ultimately like a fake out. It it's, would be possibly a creative uh, storytelling if it wasn't so convoluted and oddly uh, shown. Now we're actually in the rapture and now she's got this entire a uh, dream of what could have happened to her. Uh, and it's real. And it's real. Yeah. yeah. So she screams and cries as they, as the, as the, the, the surviving girl always does in, in horror films. No, 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 no. no, no. Yeah. Uh, and then we get some text, but of that day, no, nothing when the time is. And uh, the end is near. <laughs> terrified and then the churches would have the altar call yes yes yeah so it's i mean it's just such a 
it's just such a convoluted film. Like keeping track of what really happened and what didn't really happen and where we were in the flashback versus the present. I mean, it, it was hard for me to keep up with what was going on. I know you've seen it so many times, so you kind of got clearer. Well, re-seeing it as an adult, you know, at 46 was really interesting uh, because I realized when we watched this and the sequels Mm -hmm. that this film was really made to scare church kids. This film was not made to reach people not in the church because nothing about it. Mm -hmm. There's no gateway for anybody who didn't grow up in the church to connect with what this even was. Any of this. Any of this. I mean, I didn't even get clarity from the film Really, as to, I mean, other than just, I guess, confessing Christ as one's Lord and Savior, what salvation means compared to the things that Patty said about reading her Bible, going to church, claiming she's a Christian, you know, the the, the clarity around that was really lost to me. So, yeah, I imagine, and I'm someone who grew up in the church, you know, but just trying to look at the film from someone who, from the, from the vantage point of someone who didn't, I'm kind of lost as to what is supposed to happen. But clearly, yes, if after the film, they're just telling you what's supposed to happen, come up to the altar, get saved, quote unquote, and then participate in the kind of church that is... Really? Yeah, just yeah. hammering this shit in every Sunday and maybe in Bible study as well and any other youth group or other extracurricular activities you need to immerse yourself in, then you'll be saved. Then you'll be saved. In the, the, the next two films in particular, they really delve more into the aftermath of the rapture and all of these convoluted time periods that mm-hmm. you like were talking about at the top of the show, the tribulation, the yeah, millennium. Yeah. And they're even less accessible. Like, oh, yeah. They're even less accessible. There's so much more theology and the symbols that are used in the Bible. Like they didn't even attempt to shift those into like 1978 language. Right. And so you know, but that the whole generation of us were essentially conditioned by these films mm-hmm. to be afraid. It took me for as much as I didn't believe and would even like some part of me clearly knew this wasn't real. Mm-hmm. By the time I was in my teens, I remember my godmother, she would always say, you know, when I got to the fire baptized church, she would say, oh, baby, Jesus is soon to come. And I'd say, he ain't coming. Because <laughs> some part of me like knew this was a farce, but I was also still afraid of it because it was so deeply ingrained. It took, I moved to Nashville in 2001. I had a, my, my friend from work, Midori, Mm -hmm. who had a very different experience as a black woman, grew up in a home with essentially atheist parents, unchurched, didn't have any of this. And so we were talking one day at lunch. She said, what's this rapture? (laughs) And as I started to explain it, she began, I mean, she laughed, belly laughed out loud (laughs) as I explained the idea of the rapture. And it was only when she did that, that I suddenly felt the permission to also laugh Yeah, and really let go of, it really was like, a rapture for me because it was that instantaneous letting go yes. of the fear of that because she yes. completely that laughter made me realize oh my god you've been living like in fear of this yeah. ridiculous occurrence that is not ever going to happen yeah and i remember shortly after that maybe 5 years after that talking with another friend of mine who had been traumatized by these movies 
but who still believed in the rapture. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, I, I shared that experience mm-hmm. of, of telling Midori about the films and, and what the rapture was and just the laughter and realizing I didn't have to worry about that anymore. And he said, you don't believe in the rapture anymore? And I thought, I'm like in my early thirties. No, I don't believe in the rapture anymore. Like, no, this is not real. But that thing gets so in, in, in coiled around people's value systems. I mean, they will go to their deaths, believing this is real and living in fear of it. Even if they don't do any of the other things Mm -hmm. these films say you have to do to go. Yeah. Yeah. And as we get into, I mean, in this film, in this very film, I mean, but you get a lot more of it in the sequels, you know, I think a lot of the fear that was implanted in you, uh, I mean, of course, being a, a, a four year old and fearing your guardians, the people that are taking care of you, disappearing and you just wondering like what am i going to do for food or money like you know that's that's terrifying but i feel like the the added terrifying element of this beyond just millions of people just vanishing in the twinkling of an eye as they say uh it's not that so much as it is the what happens after it's this unite organization this scary organization this one world order new world order shit and they're going to uh round up people and put them in camps if they don't believe a certain way or choose to take this demonic marking on their their arm or their forehead that pledges allegiance to that versus god and uh, that all that whole element of being being left behind and then having to navigate this political militaristic environment is really terrifying, and it also really informs a lot of what we're looking at Absolutely. with our current political climate. <laughs> I wonder often, like, what do these Christians, like the ones who participated in January sixth, in mm-hmm. particular, like what? Do they think they're in the tribulation? Like, what part of this do they think they're in the middle of? I know that many of them actually believe, of course, that they are helping to make the rapture happen. Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole other thing of just lots of Christians believing they have to do things to bring it on and bring it on faster. Yes. And so I guess that then means making the world an incredibly shittier place perpetually. So that it hurries up. An impressive place. Yeah. So that, that it hurries up. Christ coming back and all of these people being raptured up, which uh, I feel like until people who don't believe any of this get that, we're never going to get anywhere with how to deal with them. Because, yeah, I need people to get that there are people actively trying to, again, make this country, make this world something so unlivable that the rapture has to happen Yes, in their minds because they believe it will. Well, I also have to, you referenced something else in the very beginning of the conversation about mm-hmm. how when you grew up, there were like prophecies about the rapture happening yes, in particular yes. years. And I too, um, in Remember my generation, that? Yeah. oh yeah, we had before. I know those, there was a big one in the 80s. Oh, yeah, yeah, 1988, they believed. Yeah. And there was a man named J.R. Church mm-hmm. who wrote a book called Hidden Prophecies in the Psalms. And yep, he yep. said that if you read Psalms 88, mm-hmm. that it was clear that it was indicating somehow 1988, They <laughs> somehow Psalm 88 
would automatically mean yes in 1988. <laughs> yes. And not any of the other 88s yeah, not any that of the came other before. 88s that might have been. It was 1980. It's very clear. It's very clear. And so, I mean, I remember living that entire year just in complete terror um, that it was going to happen. And then, of course, it didn't. And, you know, these things all, for me, just splintered away at, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to, to 2001, you know, for my friend to help free me from this. But yeah, I mean, we had, I mean, that was a big one. 1988 was a big one. Yeah. So this film was clearly successful. Very successful. Spawned. For them. And <laughs> spawned an industry, Absolutely. you know, on, on some level. Uh, so we get a sequel. We get a sequel six years later. The Distant Thunder comes out. In 1978, um, same director, Patty's in it again. A lot of the other people are in it. Jerry and Diane, uh, Reverend Turner, they all come back. This film opens up with, uh, we are one in the spirit, we are one in the Lord. It's creepy. creepy. It's a creepy song. Well, considering that we see, you know, that song is they'll know we are Christians by our love. And right. Considering that we're not really witnessing a lot. We get no love. No love in this film. It's so strange. Um, maybe that's why they made it eerie. Because, like, those people are the zombies that get left behind. The ones that actually do try to love. Um, I do love this quote, though. The motion picture you are about to experience is fiction. The prophecy is not (laughs) god it's just so heavy-handed it's so heavy-handed uh this film is also a flashback type deal uh so what we get with this one is it's opening with patty being captured and she's awaiting execution now execution by unite uh i love that she in her prophecy or dream knew that the organization would be called unite and that all of that stuff would be happening she's quite a little savant she or is. uh precog or something absolutely <laughs> why is she couldn't They're coming <laughs> yeah why couldn't <laughs> can you see can you see we love uh uh minority report right. so <laughs> <laughs> yeah she's quite the little precog she, she, she should have spun that into some kind of uh uh, money for her in the the post-rapture days but anyway she's she's uh she's still not a believer even though she's had the dream not. even though She's gone through the things that she's clearly already knew was going to happen um, and watched her husband and all the people that she loved be disappeared. Uh, we are introduced to Patty's neighbor, Wenda. Wenda. Uh, oh, who's Wenda. trying to c- console her. Uh, Wenda's got a sister named Sandy. Um, and so they're trying to get her to accept the Lord before it's too late. Uh, Patty doesn't want to believe in a God, of course, that's caused such distraction and de- or de- destruction uh, and death to happen. And she, she feels like she's faced with a non-choice, which, uh, yeah, uh, either believe in God and accept Christ, but be executed because, you know, there is no being raptured at this point. It's already happened or take the mark and uh, face the horrible consequences later that are going to happen, um, which is yeah linda like alludes to this right there will be there will come a time when you'll want to die and you can't if you take the mark so the mark is also like an eternal life giver but it's not a good eternal. it turns you into a a A zombie zombie. yeah yeah yeah. which they don't really explicitly state and i was like unclear about that too because i was like so you take this mark and then yeah you You never die this undead uh person in misery and suffering i guess so 
she's then uh, starts to tell her story to this nosy man named Kent, who's all in her business. He wants to know everything about uh, how she got there, uh, but he's a Christian as well. And so uh, we get a flashback to the end of the film and the story kind of picks up where uh, the rapture has happened. Her husband, Jim is gone. Uh, she discovers that her friend Jenny is gone. We then learn that she like has a grandmother or had a grandmother who we yes. did not meet in the first film. Did not. But this grandmother also had a pastor who was preaching the right thing. Um, and she gave her a tribulation map. I did not know, Tim, that this was even a thing. Oh, yeah, did you have tribulation yes, maps? I, growing yes, up? Yeah. yes, we absolutely did. In the back of the church, we had a whole track board. And the tribulation map was on it. You could buy it at the Christian bookstores. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, and the music Redemption, or the song Redemption Draw Off Nye plays. I actually do kind of like that one. <laughs> uh, so she's got this tribulation map. She's, I guess that reminds her to try to visit her grandmother and see if she's there. Of course, Granny is raptured as well. And there's this like really stylized, like thriller shot of her grandmother's phone hanging off the hook. So I guess... Her grandmother was making a call at the time mm-hmm. that she was raptured we got the, up. Eh, eh, and, and, yeah, it's very, it's very uh, just extra. And she like covers her mouth, right? She's just like gasped that her she did. grandmother's gone. I'm like, of course she's gone. Everybody else you know is gone. Why is this such a thing? <laughs> so anyway, we, we get this whole flashback. A lot of, again, exposition of uh, her grandmother's pastor talking about the tribulation, the seven seals of judgment, oh my God, opening seals. up the seals, which is, again, it's confusing what the hell is a seal and why is, why is it opening up? It's going to happen over the course of three and a half years, peace, war, famine, death, persecution, destruction, and silence, which I feel like famine, death, persecution, and destruction are all the same thing thing like they're all just death so why does that have to be it's like why are they separate (laughs) anyway um to make it sound worse (laughs) also in this flashback patty's grandmother tells her about the antichrist and they read all about the mark of the beast and uh basically it, it kind of like contradicts patty's character arc in the first film to me because i feel like in that one, she didn't really seem interested in the end times. Prior it was all to new to her. It, it was, was all new to her. She hadn't learned of it. And so the fact that she seemed like a s- obsessed enough with it, like she was talking to her grandmother, wanting to know all these things. Why doesn't she believe in it? Anyway, back in the, the post-rapture days, uh, Wenda and Sandy uh, run into Diane and Jerry. Uh, and we learn, right, that Diane uh, works for the food distribution like yes because the, food, the food is being rationed yeah the food is being rationed for some i guess because for there's, some reason people can't well, grow it as well supply chain there's issues. Supply, there's supply chain <laughs> issues because all these people have died uh-huh. of covid i mean of um the, the rapture, rapture. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they're having to be very very uh very strict with food but diane's got the hookup so she's kind of keeping them all together patty tells them about her dream and uh how they took the mark and Jerry pushed her over the the, the dam in the, in the first film, the dream from the first film. Um, and that at least a portion of Patty's dream has already come true, right? Like Jim and all the other Christians have been raptured. But they tell her, they reassure her that they would never, they would never, never hurt you. Never. Uh, Wenda uh, reads a letter from her boyfriend, Johnny. This is like such an interesting little like segue. We got this like boyfriend that Wenda has who's in the Air Force and he wrote this letter to her clearly weeks before 
uh, when she's re- when she's gotten the letter, it's taken some time to get to her. Uh, he was planning to see them in a few months, but he writes that he has been going to meetings at the camp <laughs> and has received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. And what does she say? What does she say to this? Oh, oh no! <laughs> she's so she's good. clear that he has now been raptured up, and her boy. She's never going to see her boyfriend again. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Uh, so then it flashes back to the present. It's such a, like, it's so, like, even just trying to, like, read the story, I'm like, I can barely keep keep it straight. Uh, but Unite tells all the Christian, uh, the good Christians that have been captured that uh, if they don't receive their ID, they're going to die. Uh, their leader is Here we go. Brother Christopher, who is indeed the Antichrist. Uh, Wenda tells Patty... Uh, not to take the mark. And here's where we get the, the big long speech about uh, by taking up the mark, she gives up her soul and the mark is only going to buy her a couple of months. And then there will come a time when she's going to want to die and she's not going to be able to. <laughs> yeah. Did that, did that terrify you as a kid? That, that little speech? Totally. Yeah, totally. I could see like all the emotional pieces that would be like really traumatizing. Cause you also have to remember, I also saw this one when I was four or five, this came out in 78. So yeah, I was seeing yeah. this right alongside a thief in the yeah, night. You were yeah. getting them both together. Yeah. Uh, so this one really <laughs> terrified me. So yeah. Ahead. Yeah. So back to the flashback, uh, Diane's of course, sneaking them the food. Uh, Sandy, Wendy's sister tells them all after the tribulation that Christ will come back to earth to reign for a thousand years. Which they're going to live through, I guess. <laughs> yes. And just because you have an understanding of the Bible in your head doesn't mean you hold Jesus in your heart. Hold on to Sandy's little moment here, because we're going to get into Sandy later. Uh-huh. Uh, we're uh, reintroduced to Reverend Turner, who's now preaching heavily about the end times. Because that part didn't come true in the dream. He right. Didn't, he didn't die. In- right. Right. Yeah. He died in the dream. But uh, in this film, he, he lives and he's preaching... Uh, to the few that are willing to hear about the gospel and not the quote unquote godless humanism of the world church, oh. which I guess is what he preached about before. Uh, good God, <laughs> Jesus Christ, which we're preaching about right here on what? this podcast. Stay tuned. Uh, <laughs> Patty asks him why he, uh, quote unquote, uh, why he didn't tell us all about this before it was too late. I mean, clearly he never preached about the prophecies before, and he even criticized the evangelicals. And she says, I would have rather been scared into heaven than have to go through this. Uh-huh. Which is also like a contradiction, because... She still doesn't. She still doesn't believe in it, yeah. even though he's preaching it now. Yeah. <sighs> but he passes the blame <laughs> and says that it was her responsibility to hold him to a higher standard. <laughs> <laughs> he said that she read from the same Bible he preached from, so her lack of belief isn't his fault. Which, sure. 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 You don't have to be a dick about it, though, Reverend Turner. Um, <laughs> Patty and the neighbor girls fantasize about fruit they wish they could eat. I'm still not fully understanding why they can't just go out and grow some fruit or but isn't the heat there's also like strange weather things okay so that's already beginning they don't even make that clear we don't see like moments of them just like well they keep showing you this like burning sun they do they do and so i think that's what that's indicating okay i i thought it was like the sun coming back or something no (laughs) i think it's like indicating the s-o-n yeah Uh, but we're seeing like trees and foliage and shit all over I the place. So like, if we're really know. in famine, why is the yeah? I'm yeah. just presenting. And again, it could also just be a budget problem. They didn't 
probably yeah. have the ability to make it look less uh, green. Uh, we see this missionary approach, and he's preaching the gospel. And they're just like outside. He's just like walking up to them. It's kind of like an epic scene, right? Like, isn't there music playing yeah, as he's approaching? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. The music's getting louder. Yeah. Um, and Wenda immediately kneels down in front of this missionary. Of course, he's a man um, and accepts Christ right then and there. Uh, then this old man asks them for some food. This like happens way later. And the missionary guy's gone, right? When this gone. happens. Yeah. His name is Jonathan Niles. She shares some food with him and she uses the opportunity to evangelize because she's not going to waste any time. Like, I've gotten saved. I'm going to save this this possibly homeless man who's asking for food. Patty says that God is not fair. Uh, Wenda says it almost seems as if she's looking for a reason to turn against God, which look yeah. around. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of course I'm looking for her. Okay. Anyway, then there's this big storm and their barn catches on fire. We see all the horses. You also have to remember though the horses are symbolic. Right, cuz the seal is possibly opening up with the horses, the, the, right? The, the the black horse. Yes. The, yes, the horses mean something. So that's remember you see the horses running right. Go ahead. Uh, uh, that's that's from the scripture. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So it actually meant their horses, yeah. <laughs> not like some horses coming out of the sky or, or something. Okay. So I guess they were using them to get around because they don't have gasoline because yeah. of the supply chain stuff. So anyway, they lose their horses. Uh, tragedy strikes the world. Famine and death everywhere. Patty meets Jerry and Diane on the dam to pick up six boxes of food. Uh, of course, when she does this, she has flashbacks from the first film uh, about their betrayal and so she kind of freaks out and she turns around but they chase her and catch up to her and tell her again like she has nothing to worry about so she's being convinced to you know kind of let that go unite has now closed off the church at this point uh so reverend turner uh, is preaching to a completely <laughs> empty room and they're like nailing it's boarded up yeah they're boarding <laughs> they up the, board yeah, him inside. they're boarding up the doors but he's still inside preaching so I guess that's how his story ends in this film. Patty lives through this terrible earthquake. She breaks into this house yeah. because our earthquake is happening, I guess, for shelter. And then we watch the house just completely get destroyed. Like trees are breaking into the windows and uh, the ceiling collapses. It's like this really weird, like paper mache house that gets like toppled. It's very with her much inside. like like one of the black exploitation films, like when they have the explosions. Yes. It's very much like that. It, it, it looks very very cheap. Uh, but anyway, she she lives through it. Uh, Jonathan Niles, the man that had asked uh, Wenda and Sandy for food, we learn that he's a traitor, and he sells Wenda and Sandy out to unite. Uh, so they're arrested because they've had contact with this missionary that saved Wenda. They witness a woman try to get food while they're in custody and care for her baby. She's got a baby, uh, but she's denied because she hasn't taken the mark. Um, and then they say that people like her are going to be arrested if they still haven't been ID'd uh, by the deadline of... And it's very. Why is this date specific? October 15th? Six. You add one and five together equals six. In October, because it's just a satanic month, yeah, because of satanic. Halloween, I guess. And what's also <laughs> odd is, though, they're already also arresting people. So Why couldn't they just confused. say October 6th? Okay. <laughs> yes, they are already arresting people. And, yeah, yeah. So, again, like, more of Patty's prophecy, I guess, coming true. The fact that people who haven't been ID'd get arrested. Wenda had given Jonathan her address, at, I guess, at some point. And so he then gives that to Unite. Um, and of course, because Patty was her neighbor, they're after Patty too. So 
I don't know if that's just because Patty hasn't taken the mark yet or if they think maybe she's had interaction with the missionary. Uh, she didn't talk to him. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, anyway, Wenda calls her and tells her to run just as they're approaching the house. So we get another big chase scene where she uh, steals one of the Unite guns. She's and, good at this. Yeah, she holds up a soldier. She's quite the little uh, uh, Ripley from Alien or, you know, it's yeah. very Sigourney Weaver <laughs> when she wants to be. Um, or like Jamie Lee Curtis or something. I don't know. <laughs> she calls Diane at a payphone. Again, very... Uh, flashback to the first film uh she asks for a place to hide they meet up at a unite office but they try to get her to take the mark uh back to the present winda and patty's time for execution is up uh so they're led out to the guillotine in blindfolds uh they're led out and they're blindfolded and i don't understand why they take the blindfolds off but they do but it's revealed that sandy is the one who sold out Wenda and Patty, which what did Jonathan have to do with it then? Was he just the lie that I don't understand? I didn't understand the whole Jonathan thing because we never saw him again. Never. Heard we don't from ever him. see him again. Yeah. So anyway, so it, it, it's revealed that Sandy's a big traitor and I guess she was making up that whole thing about, you can say you are a Christian, but if you don't believe blah, blah, blah. So she actually has the mark. She's been hiding it this whole time. And she reveals it and says, anybody can say they're a Christian. <laughs> like she said before. Uh, her, Diane, and Jerry, uh, it's revealed that they, again, are also traitors like they were in the first film. They try to convince uh, both Wenda and Patty, again, to to take the mark. Uh, so the film ends with Patty being forced to watch the blade come down on Wenda. Oh my God. Who refuses to denounce Christ. Christ needs to know that you're willing to die for him like he died for you. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember. Like, do we just hear Wenda get executed? No, and this one you just hear the blade come down. You just hear it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yes. And so then that. Patty's fate is left undetermined. Yeah. At the end of that film. Uh, which leads us into the next one, Image of the Beast. Uh, so this one's all about the mid-years of the Great Tribulation. These films get super boring after this, so I'm going to like fly through. The <laughs> well, happens. and this is what's, you know, 1981, same director. Um, we don't get any intro music. Uh, no, it's very different. Or no intro song. We do get music. And of course, like, because it's like now the 80s, they have to like use synthesizers and stuff. So we're getting like futuristic sound, some digital fonts. It's kind of, it's kind of, you know, they're trying to up it and make it a little bit more modern for the 80s. Uh, before we find out what happens with Patty, though, uh, at the, the guillotine, of course, what? We got to deal with another fucking flashback. So uh, Patty's working at a grocery store. Which we don't know when this ever. Happened. When was she ever? Yeah, and it also store. looks like the eighties. <laughs> it doesn't right, look it doesn't like look the seventies like, anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm assuming this was this was pre Rapture, right? Was this pre her even being married to Jim? We don't know about. We definitely know it was pre Rapture. Yeah. Anyway, she's there. Uh, this Christian couple approaches, or, well, the man is a Christian, his pregnant wife isn't, which doesn't make any sense. Does that make they sense love to you? Make, well, they love making women not Christians in this they film. They do. In these films, it's really fascinating. Yeah. How the husbands are, are just yeah. much more liable, and it's these stubborn, obstinate wives who won't just surrender to the Lord. Which, if you look at it today, it's actually the opposite. It's all the women that are in churches and all the men staying home. Yeah. <laughs> 
because they don't want to deal with that, that. faith confession didn't work didn't out work them. out anyway uh he holds out this book because he just happens to have this book in the grocery store while they're shopping uh it's called computer prophecies and he warns both his wife and patty to take this tribulation seriously before it's too late I, can i interrupt there because i feel like it's important for context to yeah. say like back when in my day uh-huh. as a child it was you could get books in the grocery store. They had paperbacks like at the checkout counter. So you think he was buying the book there? Or yeah, got the book he at was the buying, grocery store. Yeah, he pulled oh, okay. it off of a he pulled it off of a rack. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah, because okay. you could back then again books. There were we used to call them like they paperbacks. Yeah, I remember those those cheap paperbacks. There were when I was growing up, it was like the romance novels. Okay, <laughs> no, you could get all kinds of books at the grocery store when I was growing up. Okay, yeah. Okay. So I just wanted to say that so people don't think, like, why would they be getting a book at the grocery store? Because you don't do that anymore. Well, of course, the grocery store has this computer pro- prophecies book. We're going to get into, like, a lot of, like, computers are bad yes. or satanic stuff, too, like, in this film in the next one. Yep. Uh, so, back to... Fear of technology. Yes. Back to the, back to the guillotine. Wenda's dead. Uh, Patty's next. Sandy, the traitor, who's now murdered her sister basically by proxy uh tries to get patty to take that mark one last time she says this world is real (laughs) (laughs) then an earthquake happens oh my Uh, god uh patty's put under the yeah the guillotine yes they strap her down before the hurricane the before the earthquake well i feel like there's like rumbling though like as they're but they're putting her down they're putting her down yeah yeah she's face up uh, but she's strapped down, so she can't escape. I don't know why they need her to see the blade come down on her as she's dying. They have to be especially cruel, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the earth starts shaking as she's in the guillotine, but it hasn't come down on her yet. Because they didn't release it. They didn't release the blade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it cracks. Like, the the, 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 the the ground, like, cracks in two. Uh, right as Patty's put under there, uh, everyone starts running away and in fear and patty screams i want the mark i want the mark girl after two films we're like in the middle of this third one and you finally decide you want the mark i'm so mad at her for this i'm so mad but it's too fucking late patty it's too late she is abandoned out there abandoned even sandy's gone the one who tried to get her to you know do it in the first place and the blade of the guillotine is hanging by a thread she the tries screw to fr- is like the screw yeah she tries this is the most horror okay element and of all the films this moment this right here this was the scene that did me in yeah as a kid this yeah. was the scene so 80 81 right so you were what six years old six. when this film came out i don't know if you saw it that year yeah it could have still been fun yeah i definitely did because this was a big deal yeah yeah uh she tries to free herself from being strapped down but it only loosens the blade more and more and eventually it comes down on her she screams as she watches it fall uh the screen cuts to black as we hear it come down and her head falls in the back basket and that's the end of patty yes and you yeah yeah yeah, you get you do get a sound effect with this one and that was what (sighs) yeah children should not have ever seen this no one no child 
that's what you got. Honestly, no one should have seen this because the film from here just becomes really stupid. Yeah. (laughs) It's amazing how I recalled nothing beyond this this moment. Yeah. When we saw it, in my mind, it was the end of the the second movie. movie. Yeah. 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 And so I clearly like must have blacked out or something after this happened because I had no recall of the rest of this movie. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the, the writers decided that we needed a new protagonist, maybe too much about women. We got, got to get the men, you know, so we get a completely new protagonist. We get this man named David Michaels, who's played by William Wellman Jr. Um, we watch him attack a Unite guard and he steals his uniform. Uh, he finds this two women and a baby being held prisoner there. Uh, he discovers that one of them's a believer, uh, he is as well, uh, which is why he's infiltrated this facility. So we're not getting like, is he a believer? Is he going to take the mark? Like he's clearly a Christian. The Christian woman, her name is Leslie. Uh, she happened to be at the guillotine when when Patty was uh, awaiting execution. And she says, millions of people try to work their way to heaven. Uh, but of course, Christ is the only way. And she explains why Christians don't even try to be good people anymore uh, to me by saying that. Like, if we aren't doing any works, if we aren't yes, trying to make anything better, if it's really just about Christ being the only way, vaguely, mm-hmm. to get to heaven, what does that mean? What are we doing? Right. Uh, so, anyway, uh, David and Leslie hint that they're kind of having some kind of like love connection. It's very fast. It's very, very fast, but you got to catch it. Anyway, the other woman, her name is Kathy. She's the wife of the band in the grocery store uh, that we saw at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So she isn't a Christian still, but she used to be a computer analyst. Uh, So she hasn't taken the mark because she's held on to the computer prophecy book. Uh, which warns that the mark is selling one soul to the devil. So even though she doesn't believe in the Christ, she believes in the devil? Apparently. Anyway, her son's name is Billy. That's probably not important. Uh, They all escape by Jeep, but not before uh, General Goon of Unite shoots Leslie and she falls off the truck. Uh, David walks back for her, but he believes she's dead, so he leaves her behind. Uh, No proper burial or anything for her. He just leaves her out there. Uh, the next morning, Kathy's son, Billy, wanders off. Uh, what I'm trying to understand with these films is shouldn't children be raptured? He's well, clearly younger. I don't know. I know some Christians believe in the age of accountability thing. Some don't. I'm a little lost, too, because doesn't the tribulation start seven years after the rapture? So, wouldn't her husband have already been raptured by the time this child, before this child was even conceived? You're right. Yeah, I didn't understand the whole timeline. So, he should either be a lot older. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, But it also made me, like, question, like, everything. Like, what about children that are born after the rapture? Is it just, like, sucks for you? Right. You don't get right. raptured. You have no opportunity. Um, and of course, the question... Babies. Huh? Maybe they stop having babies. Oh, they just can't. Like, everyone becomes infertile. But I don't... Yeah. I don't know how we carry on for another thousand years for Christ to come back. <laughs> I don't know. I'm lost. Uh, and what about the unborn? Like, let's say the rapture did happen while she was pregnant. Like, mm-hmm. which also could have been the possibility. Like, right. 
if life, since we talked about Roe versus Wade in the intro, like, are those children going to be raptured at the unborn? Does does uh, salvation begin at conception <laughs> for the children? These are some good questions yeah. that no one's answered yet. Yeah. I don't. Anyway, I don't understand how any of this shit is pro-life. I'm just going to say that. Billy walks into a chicken coop and is discovered by a man who we later learn is Reverend Turner. He's back for the third film. We last saw him boarded up in his church alone. Uh, United put him there, but I guess now he's uh, kind of living underground. Underground, or, off the grid. Oh, yeah, he's rogue. a crazed farmer. Yes, he's a crazed farmer. Uh, David isn't sure if they can trust this guy, so they give him some fake names. And we never, like, I don't recall that that's ever, like, settled. Like, he gave them fake names, but then later it seems like they do trust him, but they never talk about, like, we gave you some fake names, our real names are blah. Anyway, he feeds them. (laughs) They ask how he's had food. We learn that he, you know, is growing it all. So my question then is, if he's, you know, able to grow food himself, and I wondered this in the last episode, why they couldn't grow fruits and vegetables for themselves, are rural people going to be fine? Like, does it matter if they're this left behind This is what I've been not? saying all of these years. Yeah, if they can just grow their own food and make it happen for themselves out there, like, it's us, it's us urbanites that are screwed and suburbanites that are screwed, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Got to get back to the land. We got to get back to the land. All of the uh, survivalists have been onto something from the beginning. Anyway, um, he has a huge tribulation map. Huge. No, it's not a pamphlet. <laughs> it is a wall. It's a wall. He has a tribulation wall on map. the side of his house or this home. barn yeah and they have this very very boring lengthy discussion oh. about the prophecies in revelations meanwhile kathy who was left for dead because we thought she was dead uh is found and taken in by an old white couple well everybody's white so i don't know why i felt the need to distinguish <laughs> an old white couple anyway they, <laughs> they nurse her back to health she's not dead um i guess all the black people made it <laughs> <laughs> white supremacy even in uh even in the tribulation times uh david and leslie uh privately discussed developing a counterfeit mark this becomes like really like i don't fully understand how this could even work but anyway they decide they're gonna mark themselves with a fake mark so that they can infiltrate what they call the devil's computer system. Yeah, I just don't understand how writing a fake 666 on yourself is somehow okay or better than taking the real mark. Um, and I also don't fully understand the point of trying to infiltrate Unite or infiltrate the computers if the Revelation's prophecy of like all the famine and war and dis- destruction and all of that is going to be fulfilled regardless. I don't get what they think they're... If we're, if we're fighting so hard to make the rapture happen, <laughs> then why are we then fighting on the other side of it to keep the tribulation stuff from happening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, it's like resisting God's will, maybe, right? Isn't that subversive? I would think so. So they infiltrate a world church service. They're having these world church That's services. Right. Brother Chris, or they're talking all about Brother Christopher and his leadership. It's not really church. They're just like talking about like policy and investments, Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a meeting where they're sitting around discussing the the, the business strategy of 
unite and brother christopher it's not it's, this is not worship kathy realizes that she knows diane and jerry who are there diane is shocked to see that kathy has changed her mind about taking the mark uh david is in a stolen uniform uh so he lies and says that he serves in computers in unite i serve in computers uh <laughs> which gets jerry interested right and he says his work is classified uh it's important to note in the first films, Jerry had sideburns and they're gone now. And he had a mustache, but in this film, it's very curly. Yeah. It's a very curly mustache. He looks yeah. especially he looks like eighties gay cruiser. Yeah. yeah. So they've updated him for the, for coming the soon to a bathroom near you. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry is a part of get ready for it. Bums. Also porny. <laughs> B-U-M-S, Believers Underground Movement Squad. It's, I guess, like COINTELPRO, but for the Christians. It's like a <laughs> counterintelligence thing. Yes. Uh, anyway, Kathy and David go into the city for batteries. Uh, while they're there, they hear on the radio that Brother Christopher has been healed three days after being shot by a lone assassin and believed to be dead. And now that he's alive, and he says... I'm alive as I've always been. And Jerusalem like praises because he happens to be in Jerusalem. It's very like they're making it very clear that there's going to be this like fake resurrection that the Antichrist pulls off that mirrors Christ's resurrection. And of course, Israel's involved. In the the thick of it because yeah, that's what they do. That's what they do. Back at the farm at Reverend Turner's farm, David uh, tries to get Kathy to receive Jesus Christ. And they have this whole conversation about people who've been uh, or who have uh, rejected the gospel prior to the rapture, not being able to accept Christ. Now Uh, it's too late for them, Uh, which I guess I just go, if this is the case, how had she not heard this from her now raptured husband? (laughs) Well, and if that's the case, then why did Patty even have to consider it? Right, because she heard it from her friend. She heard it from her grandmother's pastor. She heard it from Jim's pastor. So, yeah, I don't under... like It kind of makes the whole storyline of the last movie kind of pointless because accepting Christ was too late. You only get one shot. You know, once you've heard it, if you don't, yeah. Anyway, we then learn that Brother Christopher is killing preachers of the gospel in Jerusalem. And I guess this indicates that the devil has entered him. So, uh, whatever. Uh, David is caught uh, when him and Kathy attempt to use their same counterfeit mark in the same grocery store. They flee in a Unite truck, uh, only for David to crash into a building. Uh, He's taken in. Kathy escapes. Then she has another lengthy discussion with Reverend Turner about the tribulation and the seasons of famine and death. Uh, that's when we get like all the LSD trip creatures and shit, like all the dialogue about those. I can't I do it. I love how the goal always, and we see this even with like the COVID people and the, you know, the people, all this talk about lizard people mm-hmm. and just all this, like there is something really ingrained in contemporary Christianity that leads them to believe that everything is going to be supernatural and alien like, and mm-hmm. everything is demonic and spirit influenced and like that's not real that's not happening (laughs) you're Uh, actually the ones being completely (laughs) utilized as dangers so yeah yeah. and terrifying yeah yeah jerry uh reveals to david 
uh, while he's in custody. I guess that the whole bums group is uh, being a secret agent and he tries to convince David to become an undercover agent. Cut to a big chase scene that recreates almost the exact chase scene that we had with Patty in the first film. Only this time David escapes, I guess because he's a Christian. So he he gets to escape the scene. We get Brother Christopher giving this really big speech. It's really elaborate. He's sitting on this giant 666 golden altar thing. Very TBN. It's It looks like something like Jan Crouch would sit on. Totally. Uh, complete with like... Are those trumpets or elephant horns those behind tusks, him? They're so huge. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's totally got the LSD trip stuff going on with it. Uh, it's just weird, and I don't understand. Like, what gets me about this stuff is like these so-called Christians who clearly built this set. Like, they're the ones who envision this. He tells the God of Wrath to do his worst, and uh, he says they will prevail. The stream that was water is now uh, turning into blood. Mm -hmm. We see that happen. Also, they're really, really ramping up the budget with this film. David. uh, This is weird. It's really weird. This whole scene is weird. Everything ends really weird. So David walks in and he sees Leslie in a wheelchair. I guess she was paralyzed by the gunshot. Well, and walks into a house he's never been in. Never been in. So I don't know how he knew where to. Yeah. I don't know how he knew where to find her. I guess he's just being led in the spirit to do all these (laughs) things. But yeah, he walks into this home and he finds Leslie in the wheelchair. Uh, I don't know where the couple is that nursed about to health. The old couple. They're gone. Um, anyway, he apologizes for accidentally leaving her for dead and they embrace and kiss. So we get a nice little romance thrown into the film. Anyway, so we get Sandy from the last film, who was the, the traitorous sister of Wenda. Uh, she like emerges with General Goon and she arrests David. Uh, meanwhile, Leslie's in hiding. I don't know. Uh, Diane and Jerry arrest Kathy and Billy, who were in hiding. It's just a lot of it's arrests a whole getting chase. taken. And there's a whole chase with Billy. Remember, they're like chasing yes. Billy. Yes, yes, yes. And so, and then there's like this loud electric noise that sounds, and Diane opens the door. <laughs> Oh, this is great. A long, like, beetle, a roach arm, like, <laughs> just emerges from the door and grabs her. Uh, Kathy runs out into a t- tunnel and sees this long arm approaching her as well. We get a, a, a shot of this big nuclear explosion and the horses stampede. More horses. More horses. We love our horses. The horses are coming. The horses are coming. <laughs> then we get this image of Reverend Turner, I think, slain on the ground. He's, like, covered in blood. I think that's him we don't know where kathy's fate is left uh then we see david and leslie are in prison uh unite threatens to execute billy if david doesn't tell them where kathy is billy doesn't know where she is i don't even know that david knows where she is billy and her got separated yeah yeah but i don't know if david knows where she is but anyway he's using it as some kind of trump card uh leslie tells billy that she's going to heaven and she preaches the gospel to Billy for a really long time. It's like a really long scene in this in this prison. So she asks if he wants to join her in heaven and he accepts Jesus. So we get a nice little, the baby accepts Christ. And uh, Diane is actually dead. Yes, Diane's gone at Diane this point. Diane is dead. Uh, so, the beetle got her. And we don't know what happens with, with Jerry. 
Like, we don't get any more scenes with him in this film, right? Right. Uh, anyway, Leslie's let out for execution. Uh, they give David an ultimatum again. Uh, he uh, says Billy is free. So uh, he feels <laughs> like the ultimatum is kind of pointless. So he lets Billy get executed. Yep. Uh, so Dead he doesn't children. have to give up Kathy's location. And Billy is brought out to the guillotine. And they tell David he's next. So... We get children now being uh, murdered. It's interesting, you know, time-wise to see how that would have been what well, was clearly always acceptable. I was thinking about all the kids that have died of COVID and all the posts we saw on social media from parents that were happy their children died. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's always been this. Yeah. You know, and when I say happy, the, their children were now in the arms of Jesus and out of this terrible world. And so, you know, I guess this has always been just acceptable to them. Yeah. Children being offered up or yeah. just seen as, eh, it's okay, they're going to go to heaven anyway. So, And it makes the children heroes to them. Yet, again, we can't abort them. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The last film is called The Prodigal Planet. This Ooh. one is so This is bad. Boring. Oh my god. It comes out in 1983. <laughs> there are a couple of like things in the beginning that are kind of fun. We get the quote, "The planet Earth is dying. The disease is sin." <laughs> uh, we also get a song in this one. We do get a song uh, eternity by ted friesen Ooh. do you know him no, no nothing him? about him uh there's no chance in eternity to change your destiny so okay just a a a you know some thoughts here about <laughs> the lack of creativity when it came to the music for these films because yeah. i feel like by image of the beast and the prodigal planet wouldn't these films have been enhanced by getting a contemporary Christian artist to collaborate with them? Would they cre- have touched it with a 10-foot pole? I don't know. I mean, I I feel like there certainly could have been some better songs generated by some CCM artists, and it would have attracted people to the films maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but just the fact that they used this out-of-date music. It's like Southern Gospel. Yeah, it's weird. I just don't know what their thought process was. Like, by 1983, do you really think people that are going to see Flashdance? I think at this point they knew who the market was. Christian drive-ins, churches. Yep, yep, yep. Us four and no more. All right. So we're getting like the nuclear war has devastated the earth. In this film, we get like zombies, like we really do get zombies like walking around, like the people that have been exposed to the radiation as a right. result of the nuclear stuff. David evades uh, execution. Uh, this woman named Connie saves him. Uh, she happens to be a double agent for Bums, the Believers Underground. Uh, so she's in it, but she's trying to infiltrate it. Yes. Uh, which, I mean, I feel like he could have just said to Jerry, I'll join and be a double agent and done the same thing Connie's doing. But anyway, he teams up with her in this film to do that very thing. So uh, it's just a lot of word salad computer talk throughout this whole film. Clearly, nobody's really tech literate. They're just saying shit about computer communications networks and infiltrating things uh we get reverend turner in this one (laughs) again he's apparently alive after all lightning has struck his barn so he's really under like underground now he doesn't have the 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 farm and all of that we get a lot of 
dialogue in this one about the bowl judgments, which I guess are different than the seal judgments. Oh my God. The bowls, the seals, the horses. I I can't. I don't. I can't. I'm so lost at this, at this point. We meet two new women who are not believers, Linda and Jody. Uh, Jody is the daughter. Uh, Linda's the, the mom. And uh, Linda is, neither of them are believers. They haven't taken the mark. Linda is a scientist. She is a, uh, was a part of the research team that ultimately brought about the nuclear war. So she's got uh, some guilt around that. It creates this whole plot about maybe they'll, maybe they can be saved uh, since they haven't taken the mark. And we see skeletons of dead people uh, on the sidewalks. That's right. That's right. (laughs) And we see these strange people walking around in robes. I guess they're, they 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 end up calling them the doomsday people. Yes, <laughs> and these are the ones that have been exposed to the radiation. Uh, one of them, his name is is Jimmy. He asks for help. Jimmy has leukemia. Oh, and Jody was just terrible to him. Jimmy kind of like immediately becomes just all about David and wants to hear about Jesus and stuff. So David teaches Jimmy about the original sin and Jesus's blood. Jody hates it. She doesn't like all of the the Jesus talk. Jimmy becomes like such the male chauvinist. Oh my God. <laughs> he says, you know what you need? You need a good spanking. <laughs> and he says, you can cover your face with makeup, but you can't hide what's inside your heart. Just everything about these films, like when you stack it all up, there's just so much misogyny. In oh, them. they hate women. But between Patty, sellout Sandy, lascivious sellout uh, Diane. Diane. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we get a lot of talk about the tribulation as the judgment of unrepentant Israel on the whole world. Uh, so that feels, I don't know. That's a quote. Yeah, a little anti-Semitic. It becomes like one of those, like the later Christian, like science films where they try to like spoof the Matrix and stuff, but yes. it never really lands. I <laughs> I totally glazed during this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awful. But Unite catches up with Connie, uh, but it's revealed that Connie's actually like a double, double agent anyway she's not really a believer and she's been hiding the mark on her hand yeah she has like a second skin yeah she's yeah. a hand mask yes <laughs> is what i called it like the the church people did in the early 2000s covering up their tattoos in and church. apparently she has radiation burns too and so i don't really know why that's important like maybe like the believers don't get radiation marks Oh, like because they were oh, saved. Oh, got it. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. David, Linda, and Jody finally find the hideout uh, where I guess the, the bums people are. Uh, and they sing the song Onward Christian Soldiers. Oh my God, uh, that's right. I totally forgot. And they discover that that song is the code <laughs> to destroy the computer system. So Jody asks God for forgiveness and accept Christ. It ends with Jerry wounded and sobbing hysterically. Because he can't die. Because he can't die. And he rips his Unite arm band off. Uh, appears to, like I guess, be in disgust that he's devoted his life to this thing and gotten his mark. That it didn't save him or help him or whatever. But anyway, there's a final explosion that kills him. And but then- does it? <laughs> well, it must have because this is the last film. I guess they were working on a fifth one. That never happened. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> but we get the song, the Eternity song at the end. <sighs> so. That's the four movies. That's the four movies. Uh, do you have any thoughts about just those four before we get into the two left behind films? Well, I think 
they really speak to the interests of church people and the ways that church people believe all this is going down and want to um, program people again yeah. to buy into it and believe it is a real thing. But again, I it's ineffective. I mean, I think that if you're bought in, you're just bought in. Right. But for people like me that grew up being terrified by it at a certain point, because I had other intellectual interests and, you know, other things happening for me, mm-hmm. it didn't hold. Yeah. You know, and you can't hold people forever with fear because they're either going to fall apart and stay broken within your system or they're going to leave. And so I don't really know what the end game is, but it did set a template uh, for this being a, a money-making scheme (laughs) for lack of a better thing. Like they knew they could repackage this for another generation. Yep. And Mr. Left Behind really did that in an in a incredible way because not only did they it started as books yeah yeah when did the first book come out uh, looks like 1995 okay you know about 10 years after this film which is about right because that's another generation and later. he's since gone on or they've since gone on it, it's tim lahey it was a horrible 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 person <laughs> <laughs> and uh jerry b jenkins um and they've they've written so many books now uh so the film comes out five years after the first book left behind the movie uh directed by vic sarin is that how you say his last name s-a-r-i-n i believe so cloud 10 pictures uh produced this film i guess, and i guess owns the rights to the left behind uh, series, franchise. yeah, franchise. Yep. The budget for the film is four million dollars. Definitely uh, a step up. A step up, you'd think. Uh, which really ultimately means it just kind of looks like a TV movie from mm-hmm. that time period. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of like an episode of like Walker Texas Ranger, like Andromeda. Kind of has that kind of look of those those TV shows, or even like, like the syndicated ones that were on at that time, uh, like uh, Xena princess warrior yes <laughs> it yes. kind of has that kind of look to it um we get more like middle east israel shit like with, with the intro the visuals are just the effects are just so bad uh of course kirk cameron's in this movie he's terrible terrible he plays a character named buck williams which sounds like a porn star mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> He plays a journalist who works for GNN. So original. Uh, bet you can guess what news station that's uh, ripping off. We also get the character Rayford Steele. Ray Steele. Played by Brad Johnson, who uh, actually just died of COVID earlier this year. I will say uh, this film is better shot than any of the Thief in the Night films. The cinematography isn't bad. It really just is the visual effects. The acting, though, is totally on par with the Thief in the Night films. Which also leads us to also say the writing is bad. <laughs> yes. It's a bad story. The writing period. is just terrible. So, in this film, we get clothes left behind. Yeah, this is, okay. So, let's, let's <laughs> discuss. In this film, we get some dumb shit. <laughs> They're going to be on an airplane. So they're on an airplane. Rayford Steele is a pilot. That name also sounds kind of porny. Rayford Steele. Doesn't it? It sounds like one of those cult men. Anyway. That's what they watch. (laughs) Anyway. Don't act like you don't know. He's a pilot. 
on this plane and the whole film centers around the rapture happening on, on the this plane. plane. Yeah. So these people are like cut off from the internet. They don't know what's happened. All they know is all these people are gone on this on this this flight. And uh yeah, the clothes are like sitting upright. <laughs> It's just dumb. It's just dumb. Why do we need the clothes? And why are they sitting upright? Like they're perfectly they... starched. Yes. It's just yes. bizarre. And of course, all the children on the plane are raptured. So like yes, this is really emphasized. Yes, in this yes. One. So yes. of course, like all of the say are the all of the unsaved people are really freaking out because their children are missing and they really don't know why. I wrote the rapture as QAnon. <laughs> totally. Because that's what this film totally felt like. Like, we get all of these, like, conspiracies around it. And, like, the Israel stuff, the the Jew, like, the weird Jewish appropriation stuff. Um, or Jewish blame stuff. Like, it's just very, very, like, QAnon, QAnon. Well, and I have to, I mean, okay, not to go so far off subject, but I really do think the rapture is QAnon. And it's an important thing to say. Because if you're crazy enough to believe this could happen. Right. Then, yeah, you totally believe all of that foolishness in QAnon. It is not a leap yeah. for you to go there. We see, like, car, like, of course, because people are being raptured up while they're, like, driving on the highway and stuff. <laughs> so, we see, like, all of these accidents and, like, pileups and stuff. And I thought God wasn't the author of confusion. Well, isn't the rapture, though, he's removing his presence from the earth, ultimately, so. And that means the Christians that he raptures up, like whatever they were happening to be doing at the time gets to like cause yes. chaos as well. Cause yes. Cause also can send people to hell because the cars that they're hitting and killing people then. <laughs> yeah. Bye. And I just, I can't with the depiction of like the violence and the chaos as a result of all of the Christians being gone. Like aside from the, the, the accidents, like the people that are like looting, looting and looting. yeah, just this idea that like Christians have been on this earth or are on this earth as some kind of moral competence or something. It just... I'm just going to go back to January 6th and let that sit right there. <laughs> uh, we get this quote, peace is imperative. This is the time when we must forget our difference and be there for one another. So again, unification as, as bad. bad. Yeah, and like that's said and it's said in an eerie way and a foreshadowing way that means like anyone talking that crap after the rapture is bad and awful. Dangerous. Dangerous. I will say what I did appreciate about this film, even more so than the remake that came after it, I feel like this one did the best job of communicating the emotional fallout of what happens when someone you love is gone. Agreed. Um, it just felt way more genuine to me, like even more so than Patty losing her husband and her grandmother. I don't know, like hers, it felt more like horror. And shock. Patty was in shock. Shock, yeah. And with this one, you're getting like a lot of grief and just sadness around the loved ones, not like I've been left behind. So, okay, sure. It is a little odd to me that it takes so long for the people left behind to figure out that it was the rapture. Like, they're, like in this film and in the next one, like there's a lot of, there, I guess there's this assumption that only Christians know about the rapture and would think of it as a reason for why this was happening if it were to happen, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, yes, but I think that it also speaks to what the difference in culture in what, uh, 25 years mm -hmm. between Thief and the Night and this? Because I think in the Jesus movement, or with the Jesus movement being as forefront as it was, I think these things were assumed to be a bit more common knowledge. Yeah. And I think that by the time you're hitting like 2000, 
Christians are assuming that the world knows nothing about them. Since they aren't bothering to do any outreach anyway. Right. <laughs> and so I think that, yes, in their minds, like, yes, it would take the world quite a while to figure this out since they're so uninterested in what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, we also get in this film another pastor who's been left behind. Uh, Why he had to be black? He's black. <laughs> I feel like he's DL. <laughs> <laughs> that was Ray that said that, not me, y'all. <laughs> Tim made me make a note that <laughs> what did I do? TD Jakes is in this film. <laughs> he is a pastor who's teachings they put on the television post-rapture to explain what's happened and i did not know prior to turning on this film that he was in it i didn't either and so he just appears and is talking and i just ray said oh god god damn damn it and just as soon as i because just of course of course td jakes is in this film so i had to make note of that in this film we get a new antichrist with a new name nikolai carpathia i think is how you say it um he's like the more modern like gen x antichrist he's not brother christopher it's not cult leader it's kind of like justin trudeau Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he's the hip one he's he's obama you know but like yeah he's he's got an accent do we know what he's supposed to like i don't yeah I don't. something european god this movie was really 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 boring i both of these <laughs> left behind movies were almost more than i could take and i could barely do prodigal planet the last yeah. of the thief in the night series but these two were just well by the oof. time we get to this film like it's a completely different director completely different production studio completely different generation it really like just hits me that christians just are really bad at having an imagination and using their imagination to communicate things to people who know nothing of what they're talking about like you would think the rapture the tribulation all the stuff that's in revelation yeah it's convoluted it's hard to kind of flesh out and and make something that's a cohesive narrative but on its face it is somewhat like something that could be interesting like the, the theory around it, like just the idea of like the end of the world is happening. You know, we, we do post-apocalyptic all the time in Hollywood and in books. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they just cannot for their lives make a decent rapture film. <laughs> well, again, though, we also have to say, and this is why I feel like for me, Thief in the Night and those films were a little more tolerable. Yeah. Was also because... By 2000, they had pretty much squeezed out all the creative people from that world. Yeah. And so you're, you know, you're 15 years past the prime of CCM. People have begun exiting. The megachurch is pretty much the norm. Yeah. Becoming the norm by this time. And so yet you've got no innovative creative people that have not been completely reshaped to fit the mega church mold yeah so yeah you're not getting anybody coming in with fresh ideas no i will say that antichrist in this film is a little bit more interesting than brother christopher he's like using mind control and we actually watch it happen we do um and i know there's like a bunch of sequels to this but we just could not we could just just could not do them and i know they they flesh that out further in the other films i'm sure they're way worse uh but it's kind of it's, it's somewhat interesting to see how he might be able to manipulate and 
become a world leader. But yeah, this film is really, really dry. And uh, the only other thing worth talking about with this one is that as Tim wanted in the the later uh, Thief in the Night films, we actually do get a soundtrack. It's so uh, bad. With a bunch of CCM artists of, unfortunately, the 2000s. So uh, a lot of people I didn't necessarily care to get the songs from. Well, and let's name them because... <laughs> I'm disappointed because two people... I'm disappointed in all of these people for participating. To, well, and even the late Rick Elias, who I know in the later part of his life had a very different um, expression mm-hmm. of his faith. And I think Rick Elias is somebody people should definitely look up and dig into. And he is, unfortunately, in this soundtrack. Uh, but we also have, you know... Go ahead. Rebecca St. James, Kathy Tricoli, and unfortunately what became the really uncool years for her... Um, Fred Hammond, mm, your hero. Fred. Third Day, Avalon. My well, somebody I really love, Randy Stonehill, um, Michael W. Smith, Wayne Kirkpatrick, who is no longer a believer. Mm. <laughs> There's a great New York Times feature about this from a few weeks back that everyone should look at. Bob Carlyle, Joy Williams, Brian Duncan, and Helen Baylor. Big soundtrack, awful music, disappointing alliances. Yeah, there. All right. And then we get... The remake. So we did suffer through the remake. We didn't do any of the the Kirk Cameron sequels, but we did do the 2014 Left Behind remake, uh, directed by another Vic. This one is Vic Armstrong. There's so much. I mean, there's nothing good to talk about. No, this is so bad. Other than Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Other than Nicolas Cage. Uh, Terrible music. Terrible camera angles. This one still looks like a TV movie, but again, it's 2014, so it's like high definition. It looks like like one of the Christmas movies that are on like Lifetime or Hallmark, but totally. without any of the Christmas. So instead of calling him Buck Williams, they call him Cameron Williams in this film. I think they realized that name sounded really uh, porn star-ish. Uh, he's played by Chad Michael Murray. Ray Steele is played by Nicolas Cage, the pilot. Uh, we get an added romance in this film between Ray's daughter, who's named Chloe, and the Cameron character. Uh, so that makes him a little bit more interesting. I mean, in the in the Kirk Cameron film, his character was just kind of there to me. In the original film, we didn't talk about the fact that Ray and his wife were divorced. They were. And he was having an affair with one of the flight attendants. He was. Um, in this film... Uh, him and his wife are still together, but they're having problems. And the wife uh, in both films is a Christian. Yes. And the family thinks she's kind of crazy. Yeah. In this yeah. film, the family thinks she's crazy. He's still having the affair. In this one, they make her like really slutty. Like they want, they code her as really slutty. She's got like the very obviously hair that they think is <laughs> slutty. The very obviously like makeup and scarf. It's just so like unimaginative and again sexist yeah (laughs) but in this film they cut out all the israel stuff like there's none of that in this film yeah uh the news network is gwn not gnn uh i guess they realized they didn't need to be quite so obvious yeah obvious Chloe is blaming God in this film. It harkens uh, back to Patty and Thief in the Night. Yes. Get, yes. Uh, as the reason that the, the family's falling apart. Uh, her father, it's his birthday, right? Is that what it is? So she's come to town yes. uh, to be there. But he is actually, like, he's taken this flight uh, so that he can go to London right. and go to a concert. That's right. 
Do you remember what concert it was? I don't. It was a, it was a rock band. Did I they say, say it, was, it? I want to say it was like Rolling Stones or something. I maybe. have no memory of this. Um, I'm totally. I'm probably. I probably got that wrong. But yeah, he's he's, he's gonna take the flight attendant Hattie, the the slutty flight attendant, to the concert with them. But they all believe that the mom is being brainwashed by their pastor. I wrote, is it in the Bible that the clothes and the jewelry worn would be left behind? <laughs> and this made me wonder, like, what about pacemakers <laughs> or lap bands? <laughs> That's right, because this all happened again in this movie. Yeah, we, we see get, the clothes all fall and the jewelry. In the last one. Yeah, and so it just made me wonder about everything. What about, like, contact lenses? What about, like... Implants. Did you say implants? Prosthetics. I didn't say implants. IUDs. Right. Are they just going to be just like laying there? Undigested food. (laughs) It's not of God. It's not Christian. Stool that hasn't, you know, come out yet. Come on. I'm serious. Like what? It just doesn't make sense that it's only the clothes. Anyway. Far. We get cars like crashing uh, into, the into the mall yeah. when the when they're left behind. Of course, her little brother, Chloe's little brother, is uh, raptured up. So she's actually hugging him at the time, and they do this she like is. cool, she's this, like cool special effect where like the clothes. She just is like hugging the clothes. They just fall through her it's arms. Like, boom. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The I felt like the the rapture moment itself in this film was much more dramatic than in any of the other. Sure. Yes. Films. Yeah. Yeah. Because they actually sh- yeah they actually like show it. It doesn't just as like, it's happening. Yeah. It's not yeah. Like they drifted asleep and. Their kids' clothes were sitting upright in the seat next to them. Yeah. We also get a lot of like air buses and plane crashes and stuff, not just in the mall, but they're like happening like 30, 45 minutes later. Cause of course, Chloe can't get in her car right. because her car gets like crashed into. So she's like walking home and there's more crashes happening on her way home. Yes. I don't understand why all these things aren't simultaneous. And then there's like this whole moment. It becomes the disaster film in a way that none of the other films before were. And so it ultimately becomes like they're on this plane. Oh, there's another plane that's in the sky that for some reason hasn't fallen out of the sky yet. It, I guess it's on autopilot, but the pilot of the plane has been raptured and so they like try to avoid the plane and yeah at some point like part of their plane is on fire and then they extinguish that but then they're like worried that they don't have enough fuel to land the plane there's just not a lot of proselytizing we don't get any stuff about the tribulation in this film we do get though jordan sparks (laughs) oh my god we do so we get a lot of dumb, like like everyone who's left behind is an idiot, <laughs> and Jordan Sparks' character is no exception. She plays the the wife of a athlete. Is he a basketball player? I think, I think he's a basketball player. She's there with her daughter, who's of course raptured. So she's like freaked out because she her daughter's missing, and she decides that the reason her daughter is missing is not because of the rapture. It's because someone she's actually fleeing her husband ball player man with her daughter she thinks that the husband ball player is after her and the daughter so yes. she thinks that the husband has somehow managed to on a on a plane that's flying over the atlantic ocean that it is somehow uh someone has managed to kidnap her daughter and she starts screaming how much is he paying you <laughs> with the gun and she pulls out a gun from her purse <laughs> How did she get a gun on a commercial airfare? And the way she was holding it, it was just <laughs> so bad. She like she's never held a gun in her life. Um, <laughs> 
and I don't understand. Then she decides she's gonna kill herself <laughs> with the with the with the with the gun. And instead, like everybody in a in every film ever who's threatened to kill themselves ever points the gun at their head. Why did she point it at her chest? Yeah, yeah. This was just bad. So she's pointing the gun at her chest. Anyway, then we get Pastor Bruce. Uh, is the is the pastor in this one a brother as well? I believe so. Yeah, they uncover that he's the reason Irene is raptured, but he's left behind, which totally contradicts like the Thief in the Night films because the pastors that don't believe it also he lead their flock probably astray. Probably had some unrepented sin. Yeah, he you know. Me and DL. It's, anybody can say <laughs> that was Ray again, y'all. Uh, it's the only thing that makes it make sense. <laughs> go ahead chloe ends up being the savior of the plane like he the nicholas cage pilot character calls the daughter chloe and she like first off magically knows how to drive drive a motorcycle which we never see her do but then she like instinctively knows where the plane is gonna land and she finds this like this runway that hasn't been used or isn't being used and she clears it and makes way for the the plane to land there and she also like knows how to like find gas to create a fire so that they can like they can see the runway because there's no lights it's it's just so bad uh the cgi of the plane landing crashing (laughs) is terrible and then they like say like well i'm glad that's over something and they say like no this is just the beginning Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to me i feel like the film does a terrible job of at least making the rapture feel terrifying absolutely you barely even no, there's some action you need to have taken yeah to avoid being one of the people left behind and you aren't really sure if being left behind is a bad or good thing right like it, they don't make it something so terrifying that you'd want to avoid it yeah not at all and it's, it's really just not a convincing witnessing tool i don't think to even the people that are already christians like all of these films do a terrible job of proselytizing or evangelizing but this one in particular, just feels so far removed from even like the scaring me to Christ to- stuff. Not scaring the other the Thief in the Night films were so much more effective. Yeah, it doesn't even like love or warm feelings me to Christ. No, it or does nothing intellectually. Well, none of these films intellectually persuade me to Christ either. But in the soundtrack, we get Jordan Sparks covering the Larry Norman song uh, from A Thief in the Night. Right. Uh, interesting way to tie it all together. Interesting way to tie it all together. I hope this is the last Rapture film we ever get. It probably won't. Be. Well, it's the last one I'm ever. Watching. It's the last one I'm definitely ever watching. Any final thoughts on? The way that Christians use media to try to uh, talk about the rapture or maybe use the rapture as a scare tactic to... I mean, they clearly don't do any kind of job of convincing people outside of their universe to believe what they want them to believe. Well, I'm curious as to whether or not they even think about the rapture anymore. I mean, everything now seems like it's very focused on politics and Trump and mm. all of their odd beliefs. And so I I mean my experience I don't hear a lot of people talking about the return of Christ in this way. So I don't even know if this is part of the real value system anymore. I could be very wrong. Well, I think it is of the conspiracy theory Christians. I think it is of the died and the wool ones. 
I think of the ones that are in power, though, maybe they never really believed in it. Right. But they know they can use it. Just, yes. Yeah. When it's convenient. Yeah. And so I, I guess for me, it's a horrible, I mean, I guess it was effective in the sense that it kept me connected for as long as I was connected because out of fear, mm-hmm. but that fear did break off. There was a period it stopped working. It stopped working because I actually like allowed my brain to believe, read, think differently. I think the Christians that think this like traditional conservative way of viewing indoctrination, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. this they don't realize the ones that still believe in this as a tactic of using the rapture to keep people, they don't realize that what actually does for the most part keep Christians in the church is the community aspect of it. It's feeling that if I leave this, I lose safety net, status, family, my circle. Mm -hmm. For many people, yes. And for many people, platform, economics. Yeah, yeah. And that's way more important, I think, to all of these folks than what's happening on the other side of life. Because I still don't, I don't think most humans can even conceptualize eternity in that kind of way to even be thinking beyond what's currently happening, which is why none of them care about climate change. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, they care about the world as it currently is. Yes. And what effect it might be having on their children. But even that's about control. Well, and as evidenced by the church's behavior during COVID, Mm -hmm. it really is about this moment. This moment. Because- I need to get my hair cut. Well, and we're going to meet. We're still going to have church. You can't stop us from having church. And we're going to do it the way we've always done it. Unmasked, singing out loud on top of each other, blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I, I feel like the rapture is proven to be- just more rhetoric yeah, and not something they actually believe is real. I mean, and I would really challenge people who do believe it as real to really think about, as my friend said to me that day, wait a minute, you actually believe that at some moment a trumpet mm-hmm. is going to blow out into the air and people are going to fly mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. another dimension? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how you honestly hold on to that or believe that is real when we have not had any experiences of the supernatural, really, that have done anything similar to that. We've never seen it. And so, people have been talking about this for thousands and thousands of Mm -hmm. years, and you still believe in your generation. All they can point to is people getting out of wheelchairs and walking or coming back with praise reports that their cancer is gone from the hospital. But to actually see, like creatures or you know whatever this stuff is that that you know would be some sign of that level of supernatural occurrences we can't even prove the loch ness monster so (laughs) why would i you know why why the hell would i well yeah yeah and so i i just really have a lot of concern as we've seen the effects i mean i really we have said it multiple times through this podcast like the relationship between believing this and the covid deniers you know QAnon. QAnon, it's all connected to this and so i can't help but see it as a dangerous belief system yeah i don't get what function it serves at all if if, if christianity were to be about love and uh on that level just being like christ what use does it serve mm-hmm 
I mean, and if if I subscribe to anything, it's when years ago um, when I interviewed Carlton Pearson, and he said that he believed that the rapture was a shift in consciousness, not in any you know physical departure. Mm-hmm. And you know, I <laughs> wish that could be true. I wish that I did believe that people would suddenly, in the twinkling of an eye realize that half of the things they believe are bullshit mm-hmm. and you know, I wish that could be true too but I'm much more uh capable of saying I can say that I could I can see the rapture as an individualized moment mm-hmm. in which our consciousness changes but not in a collective sense in yeah. any way yeah 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 I, I I'm down for that I mean that was how it happened for me my friend yeah. laughed and I was free from the rapture <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I guess that leads us to what would any kind of notion of the rapture look like from just an outlaw it. perspective. Yeah. For me, I think, we just said it. Yeah, I think that's totally it. I think it I think it's about figuring out uh how we reclaim all of the language that's been weaponized in all of these films. Yes. The the unite stuff, the the coming together as a community, being a citizen of the world. Humanism. Yeah. And, and not letting any of those things be insults or bad things or sinful things or things that keep people from uh, salvation, from being enraptured. Yes. Yes. I want to be caught up in the rapture of love like Anita Baker, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, there we go. Uh, where can people find you, Tim? Twitter, Tim Dillinger. Instagram, same thing. Uh, God's music is my life. Substack.com. Please subscribe. All right. And you can find me, Ray Currenton, at Ray Currenton on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and like I said, you can uh, listen to my new single, Make It With Me, uh, on uh, Bandcamp. Ray Currenton.bandcamp.com. That's right. All right. Thank you so much. Till next time. <laughs>